0: Shalom Alechem, welcome to The shmooze I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Eitan Kensky, the Yiddish Book Center's Director of Collections Initiatives. Prior to joining the center, Eitan was a preceptor in Yiddish at Harvard University, where he received his Ph.D. in Jewish Studies. An alumnus of the Yiddish Book Center's Translation Fellowship Program, Eitan is co-founder of the online Yiddish study journal Ingeweb, and editor of the recently published anthology The Abandoned Book and Other Yiddish Stories. Welcome, Eitan. Welcome. It's great to have you here. It's a very a rare treat um, that we get to sit down and not be in a meeting and visit together. That's true. So the recently published Amandan book and other Yiddish stories is an anthology of translations, all of which originally appeared in Pockenträger, the Yiddish Book Center's English language magazine. Um, and I gather from what you write in your introduction, uh, Pockenträger published its first translation in 1982.
1: I think that's right. You know, I, I actually do want to make a clarification because I think that there is one translation that was never in Pocket and Trigger, which was the final <gasps> translation, translation in here, Stempen U by Sholem I Olehem, and it's translated by Daniel Kennedy, um, because this table of contents really charts the development of the Yiddish Book Center's translation program. So we go from things that are only in the magazine to the online translation issue that the magazine has published the last several years, and then the final one, was just an original translation that we ran on our website.
0: Right, which shows that there has been a real commitment and evolution in terms of how we are dealing with these translations, even the way we used to solicit them, and now we're in a place where we have translation fellows and can also assign.
1: That's right, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I know you've been doing more call for entries, as it were yeah we
1: are getting we continue to get great submissions. We continue to find new translators who want to take the take a stab at translating Yiddish. They uncover people that we 've never heard of before or they uncover different aspects of various people 's careers so this is kind of a sneak preview for people about but the next pocket and Traeger translation issue features experimental 1920 s prose poetry by uh, a woman named Voira Vogel who if, to the extent that anyone knows Fogel's work, they know her only as a poet. Um, but we were really lucky to have this wonderful experimental prose submitted to us uh, by a really talented up-and-coming translator who actually was just here for the translation weekend, is right. one of our fellows.
0: Right. All the translators were upstairs earlier today. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Um, so it must have been really interesting to put this together.
1: It was a lot of fun. Um, it's It's rare that you get to just have a... Even working at the Yiddish Book Center, it's rare to find an excuse to sit down and read Pockenträger and, and all of the the old issues of the magazine and the things that came out. And when I first started at the Yiddish Book Center, that's one of the things that I did. I went through old issues of Pockenträger. I had... Um, a beloved former staff member, um, Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, gathered them from the basement, and she got me the complete run. Uh, issue 2 is the rarest copy of Pock and Trigger, and I believe that only you had a copy of it. Um, but we got a copy of Issue 2, and we, I, just, I simply read through a lot of these old issues to try and learn more about the center and what they'd done And over the years and the various transformations of the place. And I was shocked at how early the center had started publishing translations. Uh, that already in that second issue, which was so hard to find, that there was this wonderful translation by Aaron Lansky um, and uh, Leonard Glick, a co-translation. So it was really a lot of reading the magazine, sitting down in a coherent way to read the magazine and think about it and what it was, and then to mark my favorites. Uh, And I should say also that there were many years when the translations came from the New Yiddish Library series, which was a collaboration between the Yiddish Book Center and Yale University Press, and we decided not to include any of the material from the New Yiddish Library in this anthology because we wanted to highlight these stories that were less prominent, that had existed in the magazine, but otherwise were not available in book form.
0: And you open the anthology with the abandoned book, which I think is a really interesting story. It feels like it's a transitional story. It tells the story of the subject of the story. I've used that word now three times. Um, And I wonder if you could speak a little bit about how that maybe tells a larger narrative.
1: That's a good question. So as I indicated a minute before, the the table of contents is actually uh, chronological in terms of when it was published in the magazine. So we're very fortunate that the first story had this great catchy title, The Abandoned Book, which would make a terrific title for the anthology as a whole. But it also does uh, cover a common theme in American Jewish literature, which has to do with the relative abandonment of the religious past and the tradition by the Jewish immigrant community who came to the United States. So uh, religion was in many ways abandoned in favor of all of these new forms of mass media and communication and and Americanization.
0: Well, it's great in the way that it opens you up to the stories that follow.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And it's It's a happy coincidence that putting them together chronologically that it opens with that story. Yeah, absolutely. Because I really think it sets the reader up. Um, You've curated a really interesting mix. Included is a piece by Parrot Terschbein called New York, which is representative of, I guess, what you would refer to as a travel log.
1: That's right.
0: And again, um, I'd love to know your thoughts on what about this piece speaks to you.
1: I think that translation gives you a terrific opportunity to discover something new. And even and a thing that's especially unique about translation is that it allows you to see familiar places with something new. It's not just that you go to a foreign land for the first time. Um, many Americans have never read a, a book set in... Uh, the Carpathian Mountains, mm-hmm. you know, for example. But we've read many books written in New York or describing New York, but to see it through the eyes of someone who's just come to the United States, um, who's writing about it through the perspective of travel. So it's not just an Americanization story or immigration story of coming and setting up a life, but this rather particular travelogue aspect. And he has these view.
0: very lovely observations um, in a way. Um,
1: yeah, and Hirschbein actually wrote a, Quite a number of travelogues, and they're not particularly translated into English. Mm-hmm. Very few have been. I don't think any full-length travelogue of his has been translated into English. Most of his English translations are his dramatic works. So, for many years, he was a playwright. Uh, he's best known for um, Greenafelder, or mm-hmm. Green Fields, which is really a, was a classic of Yiddish theater and became one of the best Yiddish movies.
0: And were you surprised by the sort of the range of both genres and writers who we were able to represent in the book?
1: I wasn't surprised by it because I'd seen it in the magazine, but I, I do okay, think— but when you see it all together. Yeah, when you yeah. see it all together, it, it's true. I mean, I think what's interesting about this table of contents is you do have some of the more household names of Yiddish literature. You do have Shomu Um You do have Isaac Pesheva Singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have two stories by Isaac Pesheva Singer, and we do have David Bergelson. But then you have all of these names that I don't think are particularly well-known even to experts in the field. Um, for example, um, Yehezkel Keitelman, uh, this wonderful story, Zina, um that's someone I had never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Or Yenta Sidarsky, this wonderful story, Search for the Woman. That's another fantastic story by an excellent translator that is just surprising to find. It's, it's un, very little like that has been put into English.
0: I love the way they also hold together um, as... Uh compilation of stories um, I, I think
1: there is probably an American bias because you of, think? yeah because of my natural interest I do think that there's a bit of an American or New World bias to these stories um, but I think that probably also was reflective of the magazine as a whole and this it's being in the uni- in it's mm-hmm. being in the United States and speaking to a Jewish American audience
0: is there one story that you think is sort of this is a okay question to ask quintessentially a Yiddish story
1: I don't know I'd say, I mean, I think *Stempinu* is the closest Mm -hmm. thing you have to a a typical Yiddish story that's in here. And that's also because *Stempinu* was so cutting edge at its time. This is one of the foundational texts of modern Yiddish literature. But it feels to us, after having read the century and a half of writing that came after it as very kind of, a little bit hackneyed, mm-hmm. uh, a small town, uh, a shetle, a, a romance, uh, a klezmer, um, but it's really a fantastic piece of work in its own right.
0: I have to ask you about Nomburg's piece in the mountains.
1: Yeah, because, now available on YiddishBookCenter.org.
0: Exactly. But I read that and thought, okay, is it safe to say it's a little melodramatic?
1: A lot of Yiddish literature is melodramatic. (laughs) I think we wouldn't really be representing Yiddish literature if we didn't have melodrama and love story and uh, a love triangle told in kind of a heightened way. Um, Most Yiddish literature was not high modernist. Most Yiddish literature that was read at the time was what people wanted to read, melodrama, um, suspense. Back. Okay, Back. And you can learn more about um, suspense fiction in Yiddish or shund at yiddishbookcenter.org.
0: That's true. We have a gr- one of our fellows, Alyssa, just wrote all about it. That's right. Um, then there's a piece um, by Bloom Alempel, The Death of My Aunt. And the opening sentence reads, In the early hours after midnight, the telephone sounds entirely different. All right. Um, as somebody who doesn't know the entire canon of Yiddish literature, for me it was like it opens with a telephone Um, I wonder if you can speak a little bit about... Now, this is a writer who lived until 1999 and chose to write in Yiddish throughout her life.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that chose to write in Yiddish is the right word. I think we sometimes say that, but I think it... Uh, Yiddish would have been her natural language. Mm-hmm. Uh, the choice would have been to be to try and develop herself so proficiently to, speak, to write in English that she could write in English. This was really her language of expression. This was the language that she was most comfortable in and where she was a terrific writer. Uh, but she did write in this period where we don't often think about Yiddish writing. But what, what excites me about this volume as a whole, and I know I'm getting away from your question somewhat, is we actually have a number of people who... Uh, of Yiddish writers who wrote After the War, mm-hmm. featured in here. We have uh, that story by Bluma Lempel. We have a story by Avram Karpinovich or, um, or Abraham Karpinowitz, as it's sometimes written out. And there's another one by Dovid Katz uh, and Yenta Mosh. And these are all stories that are written after what we think of as the major period of Yiddish literature.
0: And how influenced... And so so too with the Isaac Bishavits Singer stories that are actually in here. Yeah. Um, Which, again, surprises me as somebody who's coming to this literature, you know, within the last few years. Um, And I wonder how much the earlier writers influenced their writing or not, or it's just that they wrote in Yiddish and that's the common thread.
1: I think that they did. I think that Yiddish literature really... Uh, had an awareness of itself, or Yiddish high literature. There were, not only was there an agreed-upon canon of three writers of Sholem Aleichem, mm-hmm. Fem, Yudlamit Peretz, and Mendel Mocher's forum, but there was also an implicit understanding of who the next round of major figures were. Um, the Sholem Ash of the world, the Avram Raisins, names that are less well-known to us today, with the exception of perhaps Sholem Ash, um, but in their time, they were widely popular and respected. So... I do think that there was an awareness of what came forward and you often have Yiddish writers who see themselves within a particular modernist tradition. We don't have uh, a Der Nister story in this volume, for example, but Der Nister, who's this beloved Yiddish modernist, he really saw himself as in this line of writing that goes back to Rebbe Nachman of Bratislav and then continues into Paris and then comes to him.
0: And is there one story that was a great discovery for you? Or that's a favorite?
1: I think there are a number of these stories <laughs> were discoveries for me when I first found them. The Blue Mill Lempel story that you highlighted, Death of mm-hmm. My Aunt, that just kind of seized me by the throat. I was so blown away by it. And I think we were debating which Lempel story to mm-hmm. include in here. And uh, you and I went back and forth, and I was just like, no, this one is much more grabbing. Um, it's a little behind the scenes for our uh, for, for our audience.
0: And he was right. He's always <laughs> right.
1: Uh, not always. Um it
0: is a great story.
1: Yeah, that one really struck me. Um, I was involved in editing a couple of stories, not just for this anthology, but some of these stories uh, I edited for the last translation issue, and um, On the Landing by Yen Dimash was one that really surprised mm-hmm. me. I think that's a terrific story. It's very classical in a way, but it has a, in terms of the suspense that it tries to draw, but it has very, there's there's moments of irony that are really interesting and fascinating.
0: And were there one or two writers that you felt had to be in here, or it was just the strength of the stories that made you choose them?
1: I do think that I wanted to represent the major Yiddish writers that had been included in *Pack and Trigger over the years. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, I was surprised by how few of those stories um, had been in the magazine. It really shows the wonderful diversity and that we've Ha- the openness we've had to Yiddish writers who are lesser known um, to featuring their translations.
0: That's great. So, a um, couple of other questions for you on the translation front. Um, you mentioned that you're working now on this next digital translation issue. That's right. Um, and you're also working to publish on our um, the Yiddish Book Center's website more frequently Yiddish. Yeah, we aim for
1: a Yiddish story every month. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you have short months like February (laughs) and long months like March. So there'll actually be two Yiddish stories in February, one the very first Friday, sorry, uh, two Yiddish stories in March, one the very first Friday in March, and one the last Friday in March. Um, But, you know, the the translation issue is great. Um, It really galvanizes a lot of people to submit material to the Yiddish Book Center and to work on projects. And we thought, why not try and galvanize them to work on something specific and use that to highlight um, themes that may not get the respect that they deserve or be as well known as others. So this year, we decided to encourage people to work on writing by women. And the, the translation issue will be about women's writing. Um, and we have four prose pieces and a number of poems. And this is great. And we, it deserves to be read as a collective whole. To kind of understand the interplay of voices and the diversity that's there, uh, but we also want to keep featuring these wonderful stories that people do submit to us year round.
0: And it's interesting—we've got this sort of stable of translators who are translators who have been doing this for a long time, and some very new entries into the field, um, which is great. You just it feels like not only have we got. Great representation in terms of the Yiddish writers, but these translators who are working hard to do literary translation are really making a mark.
1: Yeah, and if you look at the second half of the table of contents, uh, most of these are people who I suspect will keep translating for many years.
0: And it seems like they're bringing works that we might not have otherwise discovered. that's that's definitely
1: true i mean translation is a kind of quirky act where you have to feel personally gripped by what you're translating in order to want to do it and sit with it for so long so it doesn't surprise me that you often have um texts that uh, make a strong impression on the translator Mm -hmm. uh, but weren't as well known to the broader audience
0: and then is there one that particularly resonates for you of these? Uh, no, for you, if you could translate. You know, a uh, well, I'm writer.
1: a sometime Yiddish translator. Uh, I prefer that to erstwhile Yiddish translator. <laughs> but I do think it's sometime. Um, I was translating the work of Michael Felsenbaum, who's a postmodern Yiddish writer, and I do intend to get back to that. Uh, I was. All, I also um, am in the middle, though, of translating a uh, novella by Dovid Ignatoff, who is an American Yiddish modernist, and that's one. That was one of the foundational texts of American Yiddish modernism. It's called Phoebe. So the first draft of that is done, and now I want to work on the second draft.
0: Wow! Well, thank you, Eitan. You're welcome for editing the ver- this great book, uh, the abandoned book, and other Yiddish stories, um, and for all the other work that you're doing in translation, as well as archiving and collections. And yeah, all I really sorts hope that, that we stuff. record
1: this either to DAT or reel to reel because we have a reel to reel player in this room.
0: Well, yes. It's, <laughs> for you, we will do that. We'll make sure it's on We're all so of We're so focused media. here yeah. about digitizing <laughs> our <laughs> collections, <laughs> but
1: we should analog guys. Okay. A number of them as well.
0: Alright, we'll commit to analoging it. Thanks again. Great, thank you. Yep. You've been listening to The Shmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. This episode is produced by me, Alexis Owing. And until next time, be well and be healthy.